today is found in John 5, verses 1 through 8, which can be found in your pew, your black pew Bibles on page 890. If you don't have a Bible of your own or if you know someone who needs one, please take this Bible in your pew as our gift to you. Again, that's John 5, verses 1 through 18. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going into another step down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now. And I am working the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Sergei Marchenko. I'm one of the elders and pastors here. I'm going to continue our series of sermons from the Gospel of John. And what we have been doing is we've been looking at particular conversations that Jesus had individually with people. So we're very selective as we go through the Gospel of John. And we're just picking out those times when Jesus talked to another individual about a particular Issue. The reason we're doing that is, is for us to see how Jesus deals with us. So that's number one. We are individuals as we come to Him. And so we're, we're, we're learning to see how He deals with us, with our particular issues. We identify with several of these characters in the Gospel of John. And secondly, as we're learning how we can talk to other individuals. So we're seeing how Jesus models that kind of communication of grace and compassion uh, to others. And so those are kind of two goals as we go through it. Uh, so we're in the midst of it. This is sermon number six, I think will take us through the rest of the summer. And we're also in the midst of a little portion of it that has three healings in a row. So we're looking at uh, three conversations last week, this week, and next week that have to do very specifically with the physical ailment and the physical healing uh, that follows. So, for example, last week we, we talked about the official son. You may remember that the official, very important person came to Jesus and, and asked for his son to be healed, and Jesus healed him. In fact, not even go into the house, but healed him over a distance. 
this time we're looking at the man at the pool at Bethesda. And then next week we'll look at the blind man who receives his sight from Jesus. Now there are three particular healings and they're different. They're different people. Um, and yet there's one theme. They're different aspects, but one theme. And the theme is, uh, is the relationship between the physical illness and the greater issue of sin. And thus, the same relationship between a physical healing and kind of the greater restoration of things that Jesus brings. So last week, you remember that the official came to Jesus and he says, heal my son, he's dying. And Jesus says, let's talk about faith. Why? Because Jesus wants to broaden the scope of the healing. We'll see some of the same dynamic in our text today and then next week as well. But each of these passages addresses a different aspect. And so I I will talk about something very specific today. And if you feel like I haven't covered everything in that topic, um, I'm just going to ask you to be patient until next week because I'm probably going to get to it next week. Okay, But we'll we'll deal with something very, very important and, and I think very practical and applicable this morning. Okay, so here's the outline for our passage today. First, we'll consider what the man, uh, what, what the man's problem is, and it's a much greater problem than at first appears. Secondly, we'll see that a much greater healing is offered in Jesus. And thirdly, we'll find that Jesus is a much greater Savior. So a much greater problem, a much greater healing, and a much greater Savior. So let's look at this man that is healed by Jesus. We know, I think, enough about him from this passage to to have a pretty good picture of what he was like and what he was dealing with. The main factor here, the main aspect that, that is central to who he is in the passage is that he has been ill for 38 years. 38 years. I'm 39, so... He has been ill for almost as long as I've been alive. And as I've been thinking about this passage this week, that just that number just sticks in your mind. I mean, this is such a long time. And so I began thinking about all the different people I know in my life who have dealt with prolonged illness. Uh, and some in our own congregation, a chronic struggle. I'm primarily thinking about a physical illness, but we can include all sorts of other things in it. Mental illness, a relational problem, a difficult marriage, financial difficulty, whatever you want to put in there that is a prolonged kind of a chronic struggle that someone has in their lives. Now, we don't know what his particular illness was. We only know that it was debilitating. It, It made him unable to walk. So he spent most of his life, as far as we know, waiting for a miracle at this particular pool near the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the idea was that every once in a while, we don't know what actually happened, but that was the, the, the common understanding of what was supposed to happen, is that every once in a while, an angel would descend, and he would stir up the waters. And so whoever was the first one to get into the waters in this, the public pool... Uh, would get healed. Now, we don't know if it actually happened or not, but that's the story. That's why all those different people are there. They're waiting for the angel to come, stir up the waters, and whoever gets to the pool in the water first is, is healed from whatever the illness was. So all these people are waiting around, and this one particular person, this, 
this man waiting for a miraculous healing for 38 years. Um, now, some of you have dealt with a prolonged illness yourself. All of us know someone who has been dealing with a serious physical limitation for a number of years. It's not uncommon for us to experience it or know someone who has experienced it. And I'm sure that you would agree that a prolonged physical struggle uh, or even a chronic condition changes that person beyond just the physical. It doesn't just affect their body, it affects the rest of their life, it affects different aspects of their personality. It affects them socially and emotionally and, and often spiritually. Sometimes the change is positive, and sometimes the change is negative. Now we'll deal with the positive aspects next week, so I'm going to again ask you to be patient with me, because we will see how God uses physical pain and suffering for the better next week for His glory. But this week we see how this one physical ailment, very significant one, actually changes this whole person, this whole life for the worse. This helpless man is an example of how a physical illness can become a gateway to all sorts of other issues. Now, as I talk about this, I'm going to I'm going to tell you right away I want to be very careful and gentle. If you sense any sort of harshness in my voice, it, I'm, I'm trying not to do any of that. I want to enter into the world of a person that is dealing with this and gently guide them through what Scripture tells us is important for us to keep in mind. So let's look at the person first, and then we'll relate it to our own situation. This man is affected with this physical illness for 38 years, and that changes him in a negative way. So number one, there's a general attitude of defeat. He, he seems to be utterly helpless and utterly defeated. When Jesus comes and asks him if he wants to be healed, so, so this person comes, I don't know if he knows who Jesus is, any reputation, I'm not sure. We know that he doesn't know who Jesus is specifically later from the text. He doesn't know his name, but Jesus comes and he says, do you want to be healed? And notice how he answers. He basically says, well, that's not going to happen. He's focused in on this one very specific cure. And he says basically, well, every time the angel stirs the pool, somebody else gets in there before me. So how are you going to heal me? I have nobody to help me get in the pool. You see how he, he's so focused on this one particular thing. And in his mind, he's already decided that this is, is not going to get any better. He's not going to get healed. It's not going to work. Hope has deteriorated over the course of 38 years of illness, and he has very little hope left. Now, we can identify with that. This is completely understandable. Somebody who's dealt with a physical limitation for years and years and years, eventually you, it's easy to give in to that hopelessness. This physical limitation made him very limited and shallow as a person in general, not just physically, but in general. He's become bitter. He's allowed this physical illness to define who he is in general. Now we can see that suffering does that. We know this dynamic in life. If you have been suffering and hurting for many, many years, 
it is not unusual for that person to get bitter and resentful and narrow-focused and near-sighted in their view of reality. Suffering can crush a person. It can. You may have experienced it in your own life. You may know someone who has become a totally different person because through this one aspect, in this case a physical illness, a whole reality of destruction came in. And so they've become a different person. Suffering can crush you. On the other hand, suffering can also make you a person that is beautiful and glorious. And we'll talk about it next week, mostly. And number two, so number one is he's become this, this kind of nearsighted and, and um, self-absorbed person, defeated. But secondly, please notice he is alone. This physical illness made him pretty isolated. No one is there to help him to get into the pool. He's complaining about that. Now, it may be because over the course of the 38 years, people just simply gave up on him. It could be totally because people just got tired and they just don't want to help him anymore and they abandoned him. It may also be because he's not that fun to be around. It may be that he became that kind of resentful, bitter person that was just blaming everybody else in his life but himself. Now what's interesting about this particular circumstance that Jesus says later, he says, see you are well, sin no more. That makes most commentators think that there was a particular sin in the background of this person that may have caused this physical illness. Now I want to be careful here because often that's not the case. Often your physical illness has nothing to do with a particular sin in your life. And again, next week we'll talk a lot about that. God sometimes brings it for His glory. But sometimes it is true that a particular sin can cause an illness in your life. Now we see it in the physical world all the time. If, if I don't eat well and right, it's likely I'm going to develop certain physical issues connected with that. If I don't exercise, it is likely I'm going to develop certain physical ailments. Now we see that in the spiritual world as well. A spiritual issue could, could have physical uh, influence on your life. Now we don't know what happened here, and I, I don't want to speculate, but there seems to be a hint that something happened with him that he was somehow responsible for that caused this physical problem. And yet, notice that he doesn't seem to take any responsibility. His problems seem to be connected with other people, those who are not there to lower him into the pool. Uh, even after he gets healed, he blames Jesus for breaking the Sabbath. The, the religious authorities come to him and, and they say, what are you doing carrying your bed on the Sabbath? That, that's considered work among the Jews. And he says, well, yeah, but the, the guy who healed me told me to do that. That's not my fault. I didn't even know I'm not supposed to do that. And then later, when he finally finds out who Jesus is, he goes and he rats him out to the authorities. Now, that seems to be how the social interaction went for this person. Blaming other people, shifting blame, shifting responsibility, not really being the kind of person you want to be around. And thirdly, there seems to be very little interest in spiritual, in spiritual things. Actually, no interest in spiritual things. Even after he learns who Jesus is, and he goes and reports him to the authorities, he seems to have no interest in following Jesus, learning more about him, listening to his teachings, 
not only is he ungrateful, he's just not interested at all in, in learning more about what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about himself and sin and all those things, and he doesn't seem to be interested in knowing any more about it. So all of this together, the, the physical ailment, right, the, the kind of the social interaction, the kind of person he has become, his resentment, his shift in blame, uh, all of that makes us agree with a commentator who called him a rather unpleasant creature. He has become a rather unpleasant creature. Now, I want to be careful again here, but I need to make this one very obvious point of application. Let's be careful not to let one particular struggle, however difficult it may be, to become a gateway to greater sin. What we see in our text is a progression a trajectory that has its starting point in prolonged physical illness. Physical illness. So one aspect of the person. But that trajectory and progression ends in affecting the whole person. Not just physically, but socially and emotionally and spiritually. So let's be careful not to let our particular struggle make us into an unpleasant creature. A bitter, resentful, shallow, spiritually empty, socially isolated person. This is one very real danger as we suffer. And we all suffer, and some of us more than others. But if you're dealing with a real issue in your life that there's pain, there's suffering there, it's hard, please, please be careful not to let that infect the rest of your life and define you and make you into a totally different person. That is one very real outcome of suffering. The other is you could become a much better person. And God can work through that in in an incredible way to make you more beautiful and glorious. But in this case, we see that. We see how this person was broken and crushed by this physical illness. Now, as we look at our second point, the the greater healing that Jesus offers, let me make another application point. This is much broader and applies to everyone, even if you're not dealing with a prolonged illness. We are all on this trajectory towards death. Not just physical death, but deterioration and destruction of everything. That is our problem. It's what Scripture calls sin. That's a very simple way to explain that. But it has many facets. So my question is, is do we realize that our problem is much greater than a physical illness or a broken relationship or a financial crisis or mental or social disorder or whatever else we can put in that category? Do we realize that there is much more that needs to be healed in our lives? You see, the man in our story is all too happy to settle for a physical healing. He seems to want nothing else. Jesus comes and heals him, and he says, great, picks up his mat and and leaves. So are we like that man that has a very narrow, focused, and nearsighted view of reality? Or do we understand the extent of healing that needs to happen in our lives? That unless God intervenes, 
my trajectory, my natural trajectory of life, will take me to ultimate isolation, to ultimate hopelessness, to ultimate separation from God, to ultimate incurable disease resulting in eternal death. Do we see that? We come to God and we ask for all sorts of things, and we should. Our Father loves to hear whatever requests we bring to Him. But is it possible that we are minimizing what we need and are rejecting a much greater healing that He offers because we don't see just how great our problem is? In verse 14, and look, look with me there, verse 14, Jesus says, this is after He finds him again, He's already healed, the person is healed physically. But Jesus says, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. What is he talking about? I don't think he's just talking about a physical ailment or a physical illness connected perhaps to his sin. I think he's talking about something that's much worse. I think he's talking about the ultimate worst. Eternal judgment, separation from everything good forever. Unless we see how great our problem is, unless we see that we have to deal with this this greater realities in our lives that need to be healed, like sin, what awaits us is that ultimate separation from everything good. Now, this man doesn't see it. He has a, a very, very narrow view of what his need is, and he just thinks it's just physical healing. He gets it, and he's totally happy. He doesn't care about anything else. But Jesus says, no, 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 we're talking about these bigger things, sin, sin, me. We have to be dealing with this. For you to really heal, you have to understand that your problem is much greater than you thought originally, and thus the healing that is offered is much greater than what you might be asking for. Now, we're all doing that. This is not at all uh, peculiar to this person. We're all minimizing our problems and only seek help for what we think our problem is. Listen to John Calvin. He says, The sick man does what we nearly all do. He limits God's help to his own ideas and does not dare promise himself more than he conceives in his mind. Remember, he has this this very specific view of what his problem is and how it gets addressed. And it gets addressed through him being faster than everybody else, getting into the pool and receiving the cure from that particular source. And Jesus comes and says, pick up your bed and go. You're healed. Heals him in a completely different way. And he's happy to be healed, but he's still very narrowly minded as far as what his problem is. And that's, that's most of us, maybe all of us. We come to God and we say, okay, you don't understand, this is my problem. And this is how I think you should fix it. Right? And God says, yeah, but your problem is much bigger than you realize, and and the healing that I'm offering is much greater than you think. And if we can break out of our mindset and conceive of something greater, then a greater healing may come into our lives. Listen to Calvin again. He gives us this great image of, of how this dynamic works. He says, for then, we, for then do we make room for Christ's grace when in true humility of mind we feel and confess our own weakness. And here's the, the picture. The valleys are watered with rain to make them fruitful, while in the meantime the high summits 
of the lofty mountains remain dry. Let the man therefore become a valley who is desirous to receive the heavenly reign of God's spiritual grace. Calvin says it's the valley that's empty that receives the rain and bears fruit. It's not the peak. The peak remains dry because all the water rolls down into the valley. And he's making this analogy that for us to receive healing, receive grace, receive God's help, we become like a valley. We become empty. We become large in our need. We stop using excuses. We stop blaming others. We stop trusting human strategies of addressing our own problems. We become empty of excuses and justifications, and we become a valley ready to be watered with the rain of God's healing in Christ. Now, what kind of healing is God offering to us in Christ? If we finally see our need and we say, my need is much greater than I had imagined, so what is the healing that God offers to us in Christ? Here it is. Christ is offering a complete restoration. Complete restoration. It includes the physical. And I I have to emphasize that because many, some Christians refuse to see the physical aspect of our lives as important to God, as if He only cares about the spiritual. That's not true. Jesus heals people in Scripture, and Jesus heals people now because He cares about our bodies. He made us with bodies and souls, and, and so He cares about all aspects of who we are. But He doesn't just offer the physical healing. He offers something much bigger, complete restoration that includes the physical, but it extends far beyond the physical. We ha- See, again, this, it's so hard for us to see that because it is so easy for us to focus on something that's immediately in front of us, right? If my body hurts, that's all I can see often. But God says, let me help you. Realize your problem is bigger than you think, but the solution is so much bigger than you hoped. The healing that is coming into your life is so much greater than you could imagine. So let me point out two things from our text to show you the kind of completeness of healing that Jesus is offering to us. Number one, Jesus finds this, this healed man later in the temple and talks with him a second time. The question is why? He already healed him. Why does Jesus go out looking for him and has another conversation with him? The reason is because physical healing is just a gateway to a greater restoration. Physical healing is a, is a gateway. Just like physical illness could be a gateway to all sorts of other sins, physical healing can become a gateway into all sorts of other restorative gifts from God. In this conversation, the second conversation with, with the healed, now healed man, Jesus tells him who he is, because remember, the man knows now who he is, and he goes and tells the authorities. And he also tells him that his real problem is sin, and not just physical illness. What Jesus is doing here, he is reintroducing reality into his life. The man who was so focused on just this one aspect, this one problem, this one solution, Jesus is now broadening it. And he's saying, let me tell you what we're really dealing with here. Let me tell you what I'm really seeking here. I'm not just seeking a physical healing. That, that is great, that already happened, that's a good thing. But I'm seeking a complete transformation. I'm seeking for you to re-enter into the reality of God. 
He is reintroducing a relationship with God into his life. The greater healing that Jesus offers is God, the source of life, the fountain of all goodness, and he is now entering into your life. That's the greater healing. Jesus says, not only do I want you to experience the gifts of God, like a physical healing or whatever, provision, whatever, I want you to experience God himself. So we're not going to limit it to something God can do in your life. We're going to now expand it into God coming into your life himself. You see, if our problem is sin, then God is the solution. If we have this big problem, the big solution has to be big. It has to be God. And so Jesus follows up with this man and says, Okay, so you're healed now. You are well. See, you are well, he says. But let me tell you about a much greater restoration that can come into your life through God. Dallas Willard says, Human life is not about human life. Nothing will go right in it until the greatness and goodness of its source and governor is adequately grasped. I'll read that again. Human life is not about human life. Nothing will go right in it until the greatness and goodness of its source and governor is adequately grasped. This is what Jesus is offering. He's saying, you have seen the power of the governor of your life. You have seen the goodness of the source of everything good in your life. Now let me introduce you to the person. Let me bring you into that relationship. Let me bring you into that reality where a greater healing for your greater problem can happen. Not just physical healing, but the life and goodness of God himself is what Jesus is offering. This is incredible. That he is not limiting what he can do. Jesus is not limiting what he can do in this man's life, even though the man is limiting what Jesus can do. But Jesus circles back, follows up with him and says, let me tell you more about what I can do. Let me introduce you into this new reality because that is what you need. That's the healing you're really after. So we see that, the offer of this new life of God. And secondly, we see that the healing takes place on the Sabbath. Now, this is very important. If you have read the Gospels, it is not unusual for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is a religious holiday. It's a weekly observance of God's own rest after creating the world. So all the religious Jews observed it. And there was one big thing you couldn't do. You couldn't work on the Sabbath. And because nobody knew what work really was, right? You have to kind of define if you say, well, you can't work. Well, what is work? They've defined it very specifically. Now, some of that comes from Scripture, comes from the law of Moses. But most of it just came from their own attempts to define it so well so that everybody can actually keep it. And so there were rules, for example, that's relevant to our text, is rules against carrying things. So you couldn't pick something up from one place and take it to another place. Because if you did that, you were carrying a burden, which was work. And so when the man picked up his bed, I'm assuming some sort of a mat that he lay on to make himself more comfortable by the pool... When he picked it up and carried it, presumably home, the Jews said, oh, that's work. What are you doing working on the Sabbath? Why are you carrying a burden on the Sabbath? And that caused a big deal. And 
Jesus did that all the time. He, he healed people on the Sabbath all the time and got in trouble for it all the time. Why? Why couldn't he just heal people on other days? I think he did that intentionally. Of course he did it intentionally. And here's the reason why. Jesus' mission went well beyond an individual healing. It went to the cosmic restoration of all creation. Sabbath was a day of rest. Remember, God rested on the seventh day after creation was completed. You can read about it in Genesis 1 and 2. God declared that he was satisfied with all that he created, and so he rested. There was fulfillment and satisfaction and peace and harmony in creation. But then sin entered creation. And when sin entered creation, God's Sabbath was disrupted. It was disturbed. And a restoration of creation was necessary. And so God had to start working again to bring creation back to Himself, to get it back to the rest and the peace that it's supposed to have with its Creator. So what Jesus is signaling to us and to the Jews when He's healing on the Sabbath, He's saying, I'm not just here to help these people or this person at the pool. I am here to bring a cosmic reconciliation between God and creation. A cosmic restoration so that creation once again will enter into a Sabbath with God. Where everything will be right. Where everything will be in harmony and at peace. And God will once again be able to rest and be fully satisfied with His creation. So physical healing is just a harbinger, is a a signal. See, it, it tells us something that's about to happen. And what's about to happen is a cosmic healing. The new era, the new Sabbath for everything God has created. This is what's happening here. So when Jesus is offering healing to us, He's not just saying, let me heal your physical ailment. He's saying, let me heal the world. Let me heal all of creation. This is why I'm here. And you know that because I'm making these different healings happen here. But the greater healing is yet to come. Now I'll return to the Sabbath idea in just one minute when we wrap up. But let me ask you, are you in your own life settling for a partial healing when Jesus is offering a much greater restoration? What do you want from God? What do you want? Do you only want what's pressing on you right now and saying, all I want is just for God to heal me so I feel better? Or are you able to see beyond that and say, yes, I want that. Don't stop wanting that. That's part of the restoration. But I want more than that. I don't want just my body to be restored for a time. I want my whole being to be restored. Even more than that, I want the whole creation to be restored and at peace with God. Is that what you want? And thus participating, working with God together at reconciling the world through His Son to Himself. That's the call. That's the the amazing, amazing offer that God has for us. Not only is He going to heal the whole world, but He's also using us to, to bring that about. 
Crazy, crazy to imagine that, that God would do that. And finally, our last point. Our problem is much greater. The healing Jesus is offering is much greater. And that is all because Jesus is a much greater Savior. So let me show you that from our text. Did you notice that Jesus initiates both conversations with the man before and after the healing and that he does the healing without even the man saying he wants to be healed. It's no accident that the whole thing happens at the pool called Bethesda. Why is John so careful to tell us it's Bethesda? Bethesda means house of mercy. House of mercy. Jesus comes with mercy. Jesus comes with grace initiating a relationship, initiating a healing, bringing that person into the cosmic unfolding restoration project that God has. It's mercy and grace that mark the restoration work of Jesus. Remember we talked about the trajectory towards death that all of us are on. Well, Jesus comes and intervenes and reverses that trajectory, but he initiates it. It's not us slowing down, right, and holding back. I don't want to go there. No, no, we're full, full speed ahead. But it's Jesus who comes in and pulls us back and reverses the direction of our lives. He initiates it and he does it. Now, the religious leaders were outraged that Jesus healed on the Sabbath because they considered it work. They were upset that, that the healed man and then Jesus himself breaking the Sabbath rules. Again, not God's rules. Those are man-made rules to explain how to best keep God's rules. According to their rules, they were lawbreakers, both Jesus and the man who was healed. So the question is, why were they so concerned with rules to the point that they had to invent more and more rules to explain the rules they already had? Because the mindset was, and that's a common human mindset, If my problem is disobedience, then if I can obey, God will love me and accept me. Who's initiating all of that? We are. And as long as we keep initiating restoration, no restoration can happen. As long as we say, okay, I'm going to define my own problem, I'm going to define my own solution, and then I'm going to expect God to go along with my own program. That is not how it works. We need to get to the house of mercy where we are helpless, where we are valleys ready to be filled with God's reign. All they did and all we do often is create our own solutions to our own problems and expect God to respond to that. But Jesus comes and heals on the Sabbath. And when questioned about it, he says, this is verse 17, he says, my father is working until now and I am working. He says, God is working to restore creation. God has already started this process. He's already initiated through me. He's already given grace and mercy to us. Creation itself cannot bring restoration to itself. So the Creator has to come and fix it. God is working again because His Sabbath was disturbed. And he will make all things new again. He will do it. Jesus, this is what Jesus is saying. You're trying to get to God by following all your complicated rules, but God is coming to you by grace now through me. And they pick up on that. 
They know he's making an outrageous claim that somehow he is God who has come to save us. And all our human rules don't matter to him. And so they seek to kill him. Why? Why is that? Because he is interfering with their plan of human-centered, human-powered restoration. So for us to understand the kind of Savior he is, we have to reject our own solutions to our own defined problems and accept him on his terms as a Savior who comes with grace and who says, I am the God who created it, and I am the God who will restore creation, and I bring the greater healing that you need. So not only is Jesus a great Savior because of that, He's also a great Savior because of what he did to accomplish it. Here's what we see in our story. By healing, and and Ben mentioned it in the beginning of the service, by healing this man at the pool on the Sabbath, Jesus angered the religious authorities and put his own life in danger. And as I said, he did that frequently. Now look at verse 18. This is how our story ends. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. But of course, this was no accident. They picked up on the right thing. He is God. He is equal with God. And he is coming to bring this cosmic Sabbath. Jesus came to give his life in exchange for ours. He came to restore his creation precisely through his sacrificial death. If sin is our problem, if our problem is that we don't live in the reality of God, that we don't have a relationship with Him, that we have defined ourselves, then how do you break us out of that? How do you remove the barriers between us and God? If sin is what separates us from God, if sin is what disrupted God's rest, if sin is what infects the whole creation, however it enters into our lives, what can be done with sin? Well, John tells us that The pool called Bethesda, House of Mercy, was by the sheep gate. It was the gate close to the temple through which the animals to be sacrificed were brought in. So Jesus comes as a sheep through the gate to heal the man, and by healing the man, put his own life in danger. He offers himself as a sacrifice. Though innocent himself... Jesus offers his life as a sacrifice for all sinners, all lawbreakers, all self-righteous religious people, all the spiritually, emotionally, socially sick people. The sacrifice on the cross restores the balance of the universe by removing the guilt of the people. And on the third day, When Jesus rose from the dead, a new life, the life of God, burst into creation. Why is it that Christians from the very beginning celebrated the Sabbath, observed the Sabbath, not on Saturday but on Sunday? Because that was the day when Jesus rose again. And by rising again, Jesus declared a new Sabbath, a new era, a new creation that is now breaking into the old. 
So the day of His resurrection, the day of this new life, has become the new Christian Sabbath, which is why we are here today on Sunday. We can rest because Jesus did it all for us. And we can rest in this new Sabbath perfectly at peace with God because of what Jesus did on the cross and in the empty tomb. And we can work towards reconciliation along with God, all the while resting in what Jesus has accomplished for us. He's a great Savior, even if our problem is much greater than we can imagine. So do you see Jesus the way He really is? Do you accept Him and what He has done for you? I'm going to leave us with these two questions from our text, and then we'll take communion together. The first question is that Jesus asked the man and asked us to this morning is, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? That's the question from Jesus to us today. Now take all that you've heard, this great healing that he's offering, the cosmic reconciliation, the life of God coming into your life. And with all that in mind, answer the question, do you want that? Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? If you're not a believer, and maybe you're here, whatever reason you're here, but you're not a follower of Christ, and a lot of what I'm saying is, is new and unusual to you, that's a question for you. Do you want to be healed? And that may involve physical healing. It may involve a healing of a mental illness. It may involve a, a healing of, of a social tension in your life or a broken relationship, whatever that is. But that is only part of what Jesus is offering. He's offering a much greater healing. So the question is, do you want to be healed? Will you take that by faith this morning and become a follower of the cosmic restorer? And the second question from our text that applies mostly to believers, those who have been walking with Christ. Jesus says, see you are well. Sin no more. Sin no more. He says, see, you're well. I, I did this for you. You're in the new Sabbath. You're reconciled to God. This greater healing, this greater reality is breaking more and more into your life. You have that already. You can rest in Christ's accomplishments. Now sin no more. Take seriously what God has done for you and address the biggest issue in your life, which is sin. Live a life in accordance with what God has done for you. And so for us, when we come to the table, that is that point when we get to remember again what God has done for us. And we get to recommit our life again, afresh, and saying, God, I don't want to live like what you did for me doesn't matter. I want to live in this full reconciliation that is accomplished through the cross and the empty tomb. So that's for the believer. So on this Lord's Day... Jesus continues his work of restoration. Are you accepting that in your life by faith? If you're not a believer, I ask you not to come to the table, but come to Jesus. Don't go through the ritual because everybody else is, but go to Jesus. Embrace him as your restorer, as your healer, as your savior, greater than you had imagined. If you are a believer, you're welcome at this table. You don't have to be part of our church. You don't have to be a member of our church. All followers of Jesus are welcome at this table. 
We come to take communion as a sign of His covenant, as an expression of our faith. We come to the table to be nourished by Christ, to be encouraged by Him, for our faith to be strengthened, for us to remember what He's done for us, for us to once again align our will with His. And so we will do that. We'll come forward as we sing. You can take communion in front or take it back to your seats if you need more time to reflect on the gospel. If you're unable to come forward, an elder will bring it to you. So if you're new here and we don't know that you can't come forward, just raise your hand. We'll be happy to find you and bring communion to you. If you're out in the balcony, there are tables set up for you there so you can simply just move forward where you are and take communion right there. So let me pray and we'll prepare to come to the table. Father, we praise you. We praise you that you are greater than we can imagine. And though our problem is huge, you have provided a much greater healing than we expected. Father, I thank you that Jesus did everything necessary to heal us. And though there are aspects of our lives where healing is delayed, in your wisdom... We can be sure that you care about every aspect of our lives. And we can be sure that your goal and your desire is to bring a full healing, however it comes, to affect us completely, to change us, to have the reality of your love rule over us completely and fully. Now we know that until our Lord returns, that full reality will not set in. And so we long for that day. Today we remember that Jesus died for us. We remember that he lived a perfect life and suffered nonetheless for us as a sacrifice. We remember that he rose again and declared a new Sabbath, new creation. We remember too that he promised to return. And so we look forward to that feast that awaits us. Where everything will be healed, everything will be right. All the trajectories will be completed. We pray that we will find ourselves at that feast, rejoicing with all you people at what Christ has accomplished for our healing. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and you will teach us, that you will change us. And especially for those of us who have dealt with prolonged struggles, whether it's physical or emotional or social or financial or whatever, I pray that we would not become bitter and resentful and self-absorbed, but that we would, in fact, become more beautiful and glorious and grow in the power of your Holy Spirit to reflect this reality of new life even brighter. Holy Spirit, come and do this great work in us. Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let's do it together.